Namaste. We're just chatting here. Ch- chatting. EY is in town. What's up? Dan Nathan. Yeah. Great Ranger victory last night at Madison Square Garden. Now, Dallas is no joke. Highest scoring team in the league. Rangers held them to one power play goal. Shesterkin stands on his head. Rangers are playing What's well. That? Eight in a row. Eight in a row. Wow. They beat mm-hmm. Ottawa, I believe, heading into the break. And then they've rattled off seven straight. You were worried since. about them into the break here a little yeah, bit. All right, but Liz, you don't really care about Ranger hockey, do you? No, I mean, I wish, had been, I wish together. I had gotten into it. Yeah, that's the only one I've ever been to. Really? It was yeah. fun. It was we great. met your friend Amanda time. there. Who's an edgy broad. Yeah. I can say that because she's, you know, she's all like five foot two. Yeah. But I dig her. Anyway, it's Wednesday, the 21st of February. Yes, this is. is seemingly the day that everybody's been waiting for. I don't oh. want to get too hyperbolic here but it's clearly an important day market call one o'clock on the east coast wednesday if it's wednesday it's elizabeth she's here yeah how are you dan and we have a rundown here and we just thought guy we're just gonna put it up there because well, put it up no this is, put this it up is the only put it up. thing um, what is that is that normally we have three bullet points oh, i thought that was nvidia nvidia oh. and nvidia that's <laughs> all we're here to talk wow. about what's you know? the green all right. like who even it's a it's I can't see it. All, right, all right actually we do have a real no let's, put, proper the, let's run. put the real we rundown. have a proper run we have a proper run right, this is what we're going to talk about today yeah nvidia got a hedge if you're long you got to be hedged yep. and over the last couple of days you see why palo alto disaster i mean stairs up elevator down we talked about it last night it took Five minutes to erase three months of gains. Just think about that for a second. And if it's Wednesday and if Elizabeth is here, yeah, we're, we're doing a little Q&A. Yeah. So well, there you all go. Right. Let, let's start out, Liz. Um, in, in your career, um, when is the last time that you recall so many market participants so keyed on one stock, on one piece? You know, guy, I, I think we can go back to maybe there were times where like Apple expectations were really big or something, but I don't remember it like this. And, mm-hmm. and, and when I go back and I remember when people were so focused on Apple, Apple was less than a trillion dollar market cap. You know, this thing almost got to two trillion. Is that part of the, the the worry here is that it is so big and it is such an outsized valuation relative, let's say, its sales and understanding the fact that all of that like likely to moderate at some point in the not so distant future? Well, but- I, think, I think it would be natural mm-hmm. for it to moderate. It just hasn't happened yet. I actually think the risk here is that the eyeballs have changed. So we've got mm-hmm. so many more retail investors, so many people on Main Street America interested in investing, queuing into this kind of stuff that it's like if we had TV ratings for NVIDIA earnings, yeah. it would, you know, I don't know. Well, we're going to be on tonight. We have a it, very special well, we are, ABC's Fast Money at Danny 5 Danny Moses is joining us. Uh, yeah. You, me, Danny Moses, yeah. and obviously Tyler is hosting. So, you know, Elizabeth says, mm-hmm. she always says important things. I don't want to dismiss or discount. But the, what she just said is fascinating to me, how the retail... Yeah folks are going to be watching this. And I said this about a number of different stocks. I said it about super micro to a certain extent, arm holdings. And I think the same could possibly be true about NVIDIA. If this thing does what a lot of people are expecting, you know, flush to the downside, there's a real good chance that more people wind up losing money in a name like this and making money. Because if you think about since everybody's been talking about it over the last three or four months, you know, I think retail has piled in. And my concern is that retail might have just gotten themselves in, at least in the short term, at a bit of a top here. Yeah. And again, you know, um, fundamentals matter, valuation matters, um, sentiment matters. And when you just think about like that move right there, I mean, it broke out above $500 after consolidating for four or five months or so after, you know, the story was confirmed. It was very good. Um, but that move from 500 and nearly 800 in what feels like a straight line in six weeks is unnatural. It gained $800 billion in market cap. So, you know, Guy, you mentioned what some people are expecting to happen. I mean, the options market is pricing 11% move in either direction. We're going to talk about a hedge idea if you are long the stock in, in a minute or two. But again, I just think what is important about this chart is that so much of the enthusiasm in and around a technology that's going to take years, if not decades, to really play out, to work its way into all parts of the economy and really change the economy has been pulled forward mm-hmm. in a handful of stocks, Liz. Mm-hmm. So so when Guy just mentions, and when you mention the fact that retail is being pulled in, last night on Fast Money, there was, they broke in with a headline that Amazon was being added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average, mm-hmm. okay? And I, I went back that. and I looked. I went to actually Perplexity AI. This is one of these large language models that is replacing. Seriously? You, I, I mean, didn't do that. I and didn't, you're admitting that? I did do that, okay? <laughs> but I went there and, and I, I asked for a list of the last 
companies that were added to the Dow. And so there were two names, guy, that I mentioned. One was in 08. In February of 08, you can't like make this shit up. In February of 08, Bank of America was added to the Dow Jones Industrial Industrial <laughs> Average. And then in late 1999, mm-hmm. Microsoft was added. So just mm-hmm. think about that, okay? Yeah. So now Amazon is going to the Dow, whatever. Okay, but talk to me, Liz, um, a little bit about this pull forward and the enthusiasm, because to me, that's really the risk here, right? Yeah. Is that this yeah. is going to take a while to play out. Well, first, I'm going to go on a little bit of a digression. So, oh, I like so Walgreens did. came out yeah. of the Dow. Walgreens right? Boots Alliance. As, as a... <laughs> It's just Walgreens. Yeah. As a Midwestern gal, yeah. anybody who's watching and listening, you know that Walgreens was the pretty much the one and only drugstore that mm-hmm. we had. I moved to New York City. I mean, I knew of CBS, but you didn't go to CBS. You went to Walgreens. I get to New York City. There's no Walgreens. No. And Walgreens had become the brand. Like I, when you talk about a drugstore, I'd say you go to Walgreens, even if I meant CBS. Yeah. I, I mean, I was like a fish out of water when I got like, there going to Dwayne Reed. And then I figured out it was the same. Com- anyway, <clears throat> I digress. Yeah. So. Yes, I think this has all been pulled forward. This is all along the same theme, though, of it's okay to invest in AI as a theme. It's Mm -hmm. okay to invest even in semiconductors as a theme. That's fine. Do it in a diversified way. What people have been doing in a lot of these names is deciding that, okay, we've got the theme. We're sure about the theme. We're also now sure about who the winner is going to be in that theme. And I think that will end up being the error of our ways as investors, because as we know, as a theme develops, as it matures, other stuff happens. We Mm -hmm. find out other companies that get born into that theme that become maybe more important. So to Dan's point, the companies that come in and out of the Dow, perhaps it's an indication that we're at a feverish level, right? I don't know that we can call it a warning sign, who knows, but perhaps it's an indication that we're at a feverish level in this particular theme, and it would be smart to diversify out. The last thing I would say is NVIDIA, everybody knows these numbers. NVIDIA is up, what, 225% over the trailing one-year period. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad company. I'm not suggesting that whatsoever. The fundamentals have been strong. Is it 225% better than it was a Mm -hmm. year ago? I don't think anybody can really say that it is. It's really just trading. Well, the revenues are up 100% year over year. I mean, so like like that's the way we kind of think of the math. Okay, so let's play the revenue game. Yes, 100%, you're right. So they're expected to go up 70% next year. They're expected to have $100 billion or 98 billion, I'm going to round up. It's still, you know, when it was a 1.8 trillion company, I mean, you can do the math. It was trading at 18 times revenue, which in, look, if you think they're going to continue to double revenues, then you can say they're going to grow into it. And I'm willing to sort of sit around and wait for it to happen. If you think revenues are going to start to moderate, then it's a really expensive company. And I think that's the rub for Well, people. listen, the expectation right now is that they will. I mean, right now, you know, the quarter they're going to report tonight is going to be the end of their fiscal 2024. They're expected to do somewhere of, you know, 50 some billion dollars or whatever. Next year, they are supposed to be up, you know, um, or in 2025, up 60, 70 so percent. The problem here, and we talked about it last night on Fast Money, is that that is baked into the cake. Mm-hmm. That is in the stock price right here. That might have been one of the big reasons why the stock took off at 500, went straight nearly to 800. Um, so, that is what it is. Let's let's just talk about this trade strategy. And we did this for um, Tesla um, into its print again. And, you know, the stock had had a run into its print. It's obviously traded very poorly since then. The idea of a collar, right? We get asked the question all the time about using options to help defend a position that you want to stay into. Um, sometimes you can actually sell calls and take in premium, especially into events. When you see um, option prices bid up, it gives you an opportunity to do that. What's unique about NVIDIA right here, and we've been talking about this for weeks, is that usually Usually there is skew, okay, to the puts, meaning that the puts are more expensive than the calls, the same percentage out of the money that those two options are, because usually people are more interested in protecting to the downside than they are in speculating to the upside. So the fact that NVIDIA calls have been so much more expensive than puts is saying something about the sentiment in and around this stock. So we're just priced this up here, a collar. And the idea of a collar, and this is made famous by Mark Cuban when he sold his company Broadcast.com in 1999 to Yahoo was given a lot of Yahoo stock. Mark Cuban basically said, I have a billion dollars in gains here for a company. He probably didn't think it was worth a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen here. I am going to sell a call and I'm going to use the proceeds of that call sale to buy a put. I have some gains to the upside. I have some losses to the downside, but I am protected below a certain level. And that's that. Well, obviously Yahoo crashed and he was doing just fine. He was able to buy the Mavericks and do all the other stuff that he's been doing. So here's in 
Nvidia. Let's just price this up. This is um, just theoretically. If you were along 100 shares, where the stock is trading around 670 dollars right now, if you look at March expiration, that's in a few weeks, March 15th. You can sell one 770 call. That's a hundred dollars out of the money in March expiration at about 14 dollars. You can use that 14 dollars, and you can look down. And here's the beauty of this trade structure. We talked about the skew. You can for about 14 dollars buy one of the March 600. Put. So you're protected below 600. You have losses between 670 and 600. That's up to $70 in losses, but you have up to $100 in gain. So if the mm-hmm. stock is above 770 on March expiration, your stock would be called away. But you got to remember why you're doing this because you're also fearful of potential downsides. You're saying, I'm willing to cap some of my upside to actually have defined risk of the downside. So a collar would make a whole heck of a lot of sense if you have some big gains in the stock into the spring. Right. Well, if you, this is if you're long, if you're currently long yeah. the stock. So that's a, it's a great way to protect your your obviously. Listen, the other way to protect it is just sell the stock, be done with it, and then live or to fight another day. Of it or or sell a like portion that, of right? it. You know, move your feet, as they say. But if you're not inclined to do that, this is the right strategy without question. So yeah, I'm 100% in accord with you on this one. And the fact that, again, we talked about this the other day. You asked me what I thought. You told me what the calls cost. You thought you asked me what the puts were called. And at that point, it was you nailed it. about half, which is remarkable yeah. historically. And now you're still basically taking advantage of that skew here. Yep, no doubt. All right. Well, Liz, we're not going to ask you to opine on our options trade. But here's something that you could opine on. Our friend Doug Cass, who writes mm-hmm. over at Real Money and Seabreeze, um, he just highlighted the fact while we were doing this, it was a weak auction and the stock market took a leg lower. Treasury, uh, 16 billion, 20-year bond auction draws. 4.595% versus 4.78 prior bid to cover 2.39 versus 2.58 prior and 2.56. Mm-hmm. So Liz, when you see the stock market react that quickly to that sort of weak auction, what is that telling you about how investors are positioned or the machines or whoever's in charge here? I think that we're looking for reasons to get nervous. It's everything has gotten so frothy. Investors are on their toes about what could take it down? What could be the problem? I think we're looking for reasons. And look, treasury auctions are something that the average investor doesn't really understand, doesn't even really know that they go on, Mm -hmm. right? And usually it was one of those things that if it moved treasury yields in the middle of the day, something would happen. We'd all look at our screens and you know what's going on and then we'd find out. It just so happens that mm-hmm. yesterday I did a podcast for somebody about treasury auctions. So I've got some fresh oh, got some fresh stats Who's podcast? for Give you. Give a shout out. <clears throat> um run the business a shout out. Yeah, there. I know. I'll I'll you know what I'll post it when it when we'll it put it in the show it. notes. Yeah. I'll put it in the show Fine. notes. Oh, it's I'll, not out I'll yet. I got it. it. It's not out yet. Okay, fair enough. It's gonna go out on LinkedIn. Anyway, we recorded it yesterday. And here's the thing. At different parts of the curve, this this auction, and Doug can correct me if I'm wrong, this auction, I think, was a 20-year, right? Yeah. At different parts of the curve, things are going very differently. So if you look at the really short end of the curve in those auctions, so we'll call that the three-month to 12-month space, the bid to cover, which is what we use to indicate whether or not things are going well, strongest it has been in this cycle was in the third quarter of 2021. We all remember what happened then. The Fed retired the word transitory. Bid to cover was about three and a half to 3.7. Now it's down to 2.8 to three, but that's pre-pandemic levels. So some of these treasury auctions, like the the short-term treasury auctions are going okay. The longer term ones, weaker, but still not terrible, still okay compared to pre-pandemic levels. Here's going to be the weird part. If the Fed later this year or next year decides that they're going to roll off or engage in outright sales of mortgage-backed securities, they are likely, we'll see, they haven't declared this, but a lot of people are speculating, likely to, let's say, get rid of MBS and start buying long-term treasury bonds because they just want to change the composition of their balance sheet. If they do that, if these auctions aren't going well, I'm willing to bet they start doing that sooner, right? Then you've got a Fed back in the picture as a buyer and we don't have all this fear over treasury auctions. So right now, auctions are definitely something to watch, especially if you're an average investor, a retail investor who doesn't know what they are. You can get some inside baseball on what actually happens in the bond market and why things are moving in a certain way. But they're they're there as an indicator now. I think the bigger indicator and the thing that they will have more effect on earlier this year is consumer loan rates. You know, the other day I talked about um, the, the fact that the government needs to if over the next 11 months or so, almost $9 trillion. And Doug actually sent me a message. He said, it's actually worse than that. It's $9 trillion plus about $1.5 trillion of the forecasted deficit. And again, you know, people will buy our debt. It's just a question of what rate. And one of the reasons I thought yields will go higher and continue to go higher is because of that exactly. And I think to a certain extent, you're starting to see in that 
around the edges. Interesting. We mentioned video. We'll go back to it real quick. Elizabeth's on the Twitter. Yeah. It's Twitter to me. And she put out a great tweet. What a 10.5% move in NVIDIA means to some of the different indices. And actually, last night we talked about it, I think, or yesterday on a market call. I thought maybe three-tenths of 1% or so for the S&P. I was off clearly. But Elizabeth, speak to this because I do think it's pretty important. Yeah, I mean, this just shows you how top-heavy mm-hmm. the indices are. And when we talk about the broad markets, of the air of our ways of referring to it as the broad market, because it's not really all that broad if these are market cap weighted indices. So if NVIDIA has a move and, and what Dan talked about earlier, these are consistent numbers, right? 10 and a half, 11% in one direction or the other, it can move the semiconductors by over a percent. It can move the NASDAQ by over a half a percent. The S&P, which has 500 stocks in it, one stock can move it by almost a half a percent. Mm-hmm. These are big, big numbers. So something definitely to be aware of, especially for people out there that take the approach of you've got passive at your core and you're satelliting off of it because your core is really susceptible to some of these moves. Yeah, and, and just to kind of add to that, you know, so the S&P 500, 27.5% or so is the MAG-7, right? So like, let's just be clear. Let's just say hypothetically, NVIDIA were to be down 10, 11% or so. Um, well, that means that all of the MAG-7 are down on average, in my opinion, probably 2% or something like that. It would, it, I, I would be hard pressed to see, because if you think about it, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Meta, they're 40% of the revenue of NVIDIA in any given year, right? So like you say to yourself, um, if the company is going to be, or the stock is going to sell off because the company's guidance, right? That has to be incorporating a bit of what their customers Mm -hmm. are extrapolating that. Mm -hmm. So again, and it can go the other way too. Let me just tell you, if the company, now that the stock has sold off, let's do like a five-day chart of NVIDIA if they want to do that here for us. Um, And I'll just do the math on my little fact set machine, Um, you know, just how much this stock has sold off from the high. Nine percent, nine and a half percent. That's all. I'm just guessing, but I yeah. Think so I'm that's close. since what Friday um, in the all time high here. So the the high was just below seven fifty. Here we are um, at six seventy one, right? So that is uh, a little more than ten percent or so. Okay, uh, we can do that math. Um, so you say to yourself, okay, if it was a if it's a beat and a raise, that is just astounding. I mean, the stock's going back to the highs, but that was one of the reasons why that 770 call sale above the prior all-time highs makes sense to me um, to finance the purchase of the downside here. Um, guy, let's pull up the S&P 500 here. We've been tracking it a little bit here. You know, this the steepness of this uptrend is something that I think should be catching everybody's attention. Uh, if you were to draw a trend channel, mm-hmm. you can say to yourself, okay, well, there's still room if it bounces off of, you know what I mean, that uptrend to go um, higher. We saw a bunch of strategists this week. And Liz, we're so glad that you don't have to post uh, you know, <laughs> targets I'm and everything so like that, that because we would, we would, we would, you know, this thing would, would break out into a brawl here and there. But guy, talk to me about the ability for this thing just to keep tack, like just work in this line, baby. So it's you know hold, I mean? it's, like, yeah, I mean, it's done a great job. I mean, this has been obviously since the fall, we've been in this uptrend. The uptrend continues. We've had pullbacks along the way, each time stopping and bouncing and individual stocks we've had moves for example we talked about apple yesterday i'm sure we'll talk about it here but you know in the wake of a lot of reasons why it should have broke it has not done so now we'll see if tonight is in fact the catalyst it's interesting you know doug mentioned that bond auction and you talked about it the s&p's actually rallied about 12 handles since that came out so a lot of times things happen that are somewhat counterintuitive i do think yields will continue to go higher i think higher yields are going to be at, if nothing more, if not at, at least a headwind, if it's not something worse for the S and P 500. And here we are waiting on Nvidia, and then obviously the ramifications. You mentioned Microsoft. If Nvidia were to miss <clears throat> and were to see an eight to ten percent move, pull up a Microsoft real chart real quick. I mean, it's effectively trading four hundred now. I think it's three eighty in a heartbeat in terms of where it could trade down to, and that was a prior high we made a few months or so ago. So ramifications for this earnings release, I think, are pretty significant and there's the microsoft chart so there you go um liz talk to us a little bit about if you were to see technology the mag seven or whatever you want to call them were to sell off where would you see money flow to and and again Mm -hmm. like like we have a a lily chart here you know one of the things that's really interesting to us about lily is that it fits in this sort of mega trend sort of category it's a, Mm -hmm. a company that people have loved for a very long time but they've really loved it over the last year and a half or so and it's really um obviously uh you know it's a seven hundred billion dollar market cap company uh at the moment so it's a very crowded trade and you look at that just from a technical perspective you see where easily the stock 
you know, could pull back to. And again, it doesn't have to be on anything fundamental. If a lot of investors who are crowded into some of these mega trends mm -hmm. head for the door at the same time. And I would just say that if money comes out of the AI trade, it's going to also come out of this. So it won't be a rotation into the GLP-1 trade because it's the same money that's in there. So thoughts on where you could see some things rotate uh, into. Well, so the first question you have to ask yourself is, are investors ready to come out of the market entirely? Are they ready to reduce their risk asset exposure? I think the answer to that is no. I don't think that there's been anything necessarily in the economy yet that's changed that would tell them we should have fear about really the forward moving momentum of the U.S. from here on out. But to your point, if money does come out, don't underestimate the power of the guilty by association trade, mm -hmm. right? You've got, let's say something happens to NVIDIA. Let's say they disappoint. This happens on the upside too, which right. I would call the rising tide lifts all boats, right? If something happens, you've got semiconductors that will get hit, technology that will get hit. I think small caps will get hit. A lot of that really risky stuff that's been catapulted by this momentum and that started to be <clears throat> catapulted by lowering rates back in October. So I think some of that would just sort of reverse itself. So then where does it go? I think in the short term, it goes into very classically defensive places that have been slightly ignored. Mm -hmm. I think it probably goes into Utes. It probably goes into Staples. It probably goes into Divis, right? That sort of thing. Like and the then Divis maybe, right then maybe it redistributes after that. But I think it, it sits in some of the defensive areas of the market, staying in equities, until people have more information about whether or not they should actually be worried. You know, it's interesting. She mentioned the, the small caps. And again, the IWM, if we throw a chart up, we've mentioned at least a dozen times how 204, 205 to the upside has been resistance now for the better part of two years. We recently got right back up to it on the back of super micro SMCI, which I think is the biggest rating in the IWM-ish type of thing. And now here we are back below 200. So Liz's is well taken. You know, you could make an argument that maybe the Russell was masked some of the weakness by the moving super micro. Now with that stock seemingly coming back to earth, maybe some of the ills, Dan, in the small caps vis-a-vis -vis what's going on with rates in the economy might be sort of taking hold. Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't uh, the small caps people were pointing to over the last couple of weeks or so in the volatility. I think it did have something to do with that super micro becoming a uh, a mega cap, if mm -hmm. you will, at a $50 billion uh, market cap. Let's take a look at a, a large cap stock. When you see a company this size of Palo Alto Network sell off 27%, which is what is down right now, it's down nearly $100, okay? So it's trading at 267. Um, it was just trading basically um, at a 52-week and all-time mm -hmm. high. You look at the move that this stock has made from early 2023. Um, the stock has was, uh, I don't know, $130 or something, got as high as, um, you know, where it was, guy $380. So here we are. Um, you and I were looking at the result after um, it came out on Fast Money last night, and we were looking at the guide, and we're looking at the quarter, and we we're saying to ourselves, I don't know, man. It was down like 15%, then 17%, then 20%. Didn't make a ton of sense to me. But, you know, people ask us all the time why we look at charts and and why we, you know, hey, pictures are, are worth a thousand words. Look at that. Look at where that broke out, okay, a few months ago. Um, and, you know, it was consolidating, broke out to a new all-time high. It was basically had, you know, one or two little pullbacks or so. But look at where the stock has come back to, right? And so, Guy, you often do this on Fast Money. You say, where would you look to buy it back? If you like the story, this is a great example. And you and I talked about it. This is not on the company. The company guided three months ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? This is on investors, what they are willing to pay for a story like this. So the fact that the stock went, you know, from $260 to $380 and then elevator down. So talk to me a little bit about this, because if you still like the story and now expectations are more in line, it's probably not a bad spot to start picking at hundred percent. And as you mentioned a number of times, we now find ourselves on the gram and I think we put something out on the Instagram. And we, one of the things that I said was, you know, it took, it took five minutes to basically give back three months of gains. You can see it right here in terms of the chart, but we also mentioned that 263 or so should be support. And now you're starting to see the reasons why. So you can check out us on Instagram or you can just look right here. I think the loader day was 266 or so. We really haven't bounced. It's already traded, I want to say, 30 million shares or so, 28 million shares on the day. Typically trades four. So you're going to do at least 10 times normal volume. Again, you're looking for reasons to get in this name. And this, to me, reeks of capitulation in terms of the amount of volume we've seen. So I think you can start to dip your toe into the water here in Palo Alto without question, because as you said, 
listen, the quarter was fine. The guide wasn't great. I think it's just the euphoria around this, the entire sector that people got caught up in. And this is another example of, you know, a lot of people, probably more people wind up losing money in this name than making money. And that is, to me, a tad upsetting. I have a question for both of Please. you. This may absolutely be a thorn in your side to hear, but what about the three-day rule? Oh, <laughs> Where did that seriously? But I there's mean, probably so people watching who've yeah. heard that before. Yeah. So if you think it's crap, no, no, I understand. No, no, okay, that's fair. There the is something called the three day rule is, where is this. You something blows up and you wait three days, you yep. sort of take a powder, and it's not, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's three, obviously, trading days. So, and that works to the upside as well. You get some blow off top, and maybe you don't want to go piling into a name. You wait three days, see what happens. And I'm all for that. The reasons why that sometimes that doesn't. I don't think hold a lot of water is because in today's world, what typically took three days can happen in about, you know, three hours. So I think time has been magnified and really pushed forward. And I, me, I'm a big volume person. So if you're looking for capitulation, it has to be on the back of a big volume situation. And we're seeing it right now. So yeah, you can say you can wait a couple of days and maybe we're not going to go anywhere, but there have to be levels that you're looking for. And we flagged that 263. So 100% I agree with you in terms of that being a thing. But I also think you got to stick to your levels. Yeah, and I'm also very impatient. So whenever um, I find myself in a situation like that, where I was like, you know what? I actually don't think it's nearly as bad as everyone. I, I buy like a quarter position, you know what I mean? And then I see, that, let's pull up Snap a one year, because this is a good example. And if they could do it with volume too, um, would be really helpful. Um, so when the company reported just a couple of weeks ago, huge downdraft, was it down 35% or something like that? And, and that one, you know, and I've often, and I've traded this one this way on many of occasions, but I just want to be really clear here. You know, this stock usually fills in those earnings gaps, but go back and look at that gap from last July. It gapped, it bounced a little bit, and then it just took a, you know what there. Now the market was in the throes of a sell-off in August into September. Um, but this is a good example where look at the volume that we had on that big down day and it did bounce a little bit off those lows. It got, you know, back north of 12 bucks or so from 11 to 12, but here it is, it's making new lows right here. So again, you have to have patience because if you got to decide also whether it's a trade, whether you're legging into an investment. And if you look at this thing, if they can pull this back even further, this thing is just like filled with gaps all over the place and the gaps have provided trading opportunities, but you got to be uh, a little patient here. Here and there too. So um, good, good question by you, Liz. And, and you aggravated Guy Dami a little bit. No, not at all. Kind of well, because there's, the there's, there are people that say it that, you know, there's some people, some people say yes. It. Uh, Bloomberg comes out and it's interesting. All these fed heads seemingly are coming around. I, I know Elizabeth feels that way. I do as well. <laughs> Feds bark and says inflation data show persistent price pressures. Shocking. <laughs> Throw that one up because, you know, this is something we've talked about for a while and it's, it's out there. I mean, people, and it's funny. Inflation is going lower. No, it's, I want to be fucking <laughs> no, crystal no, clear. No. It's not going lower. Mm. It's going up less fast. And that's mm. important distinction because the <clears> reason <throat> why, you know, this administration is having trouble on the economy in terms of people being on, on, <clears throat> you know, aligned with them is because people are feeling the pain of a combined now 19% inflation gain since the Biden administration has taken over. By the way, not his fault entirely. The seeds were sown probably during the Trump administration when they obviously browbeat the Fed into lowering rates. And then they did that very ill-timed <laughs> tax cut. With all that said, that's why people are feeling it. It's not because inflation is going lower. It's because it's going up less fast. And I think in terms of yields and we have a yield chart, that's why another reason I think yields are going to continue so, to grind high. So, you know, we talked about the gram, the Instagram. Say, flash it up because guy is guy out of Dami there. We have risk reversal media that's on the Instagram. I am Dan's Nathan. What are you, Liz, over on the Instagram? Liz Young Strat? Liz Young Strat. Liz Young Strat. Yep. Um, so follow us there. We're putting out every morning something that Guy and I are watching that we're going to cover on the market call. But let's go back to, to this yield chart. This is the 10-year, uh, Liz. Look at this this technical setup here. It's it's tricky. Um, you know that mm -hmm. past support, that uptrend that we rode the whole time, right? As the Fed was raising Fed funds, it broke, right? And now look at it. It's obviously moving higher. So we have a series of um, you know higher lows and and higher highs. But that past support is now resistance. It's it's right. You know, kind of dangling a little bit in and around that two hundred day. And that's not so important. But my only point here is that we seem to be. It's a much more unclear path about rates right now yeah. than it has been in a very long time, if you think about it. So curious your thoughts, Liz, on yields right here. And I know maybe that chart doesn't mean much to you, but to me, 
you know, the fact that it's actually not been able to get above it, Guy, you know what I mean? I would just say that it's still, the jury's still out of this one. Well, I think I think we feel confident, although I don't think that this is a non-zero probability. I think we feel confident the Fed has done hiking rates, mm-hmm. right? They could have to do it again if things overheat, if if they get kind of spooky later in the year. But I think we're confident on that, which is what I think is keeping a lid on the 10-year yield. Mm-hmm. However, if and when they start cutting rates, that's the most uncertain thing right now is the timing and the size of rate cuts. If and when they start cutting, the short end of the curve is going to drop. The curve becomes uninverted. The 10-year, and I think we talked about this last week, the 10-year could find a floor above where we're comfortable with it. And it could end up being something that markets have to sort of digest as, okay, this is this is the new normal. This is the new level of the 10-year. If you look at something, if we just don't, we don't want to look just at yields. If you look at something like break-evens, right? 10-year break-even. So this is basically inflation expectations, more or less. 10-year break-evens have risen pretty steadily uh, since the end of January. Two-year break-evens have gone up at a really fast clip since the end of January. So now you've got what the Fed doesn't want to happen. They worry about inflation expectations. You hear them use the word entrenched. They don't want inflation to become entrenched. It's entrenched if expectations go up because then people start to realize that inflation is not in fact coming down and it's going to stay higher and I'm going to feel the pinch. Mm -hmm. Inflation coming down is called deflation. We are not having that. Until we start having negative month over month and year over year prints, there is no inflation that has been actually coming down. So I think this is a really important juncture for the Fed. We're going to get some minutes today in about 28 minutes. This is a really important juncture for the Fed to try not to screw it up. Mm -hmm. And they are trying really hard not to screw it up. But just as much as this is tricky for us to look at, it's just as tricky for them to figure out which direction to take. You're not going to believe this. Guy Adami yesterday in the market call, he said, like, you you actually gave... Fed Chair Powell, a little credit. I mean, they're not panicking right now. You know, no. you know what I'm saying? And the way that they've, I, I think the way he's, there was there was a presser last year where he didn't seem to have like yeah, a, a mean, level of control over things. Yeah. But right now, the fact that he is not so dovish, the way that market participants want him to be, the way a lot of folks want him to be, I think makes a lot of sense, Guy. He's been listening to your well, pesky about that. and persistent. Well, I think he goes back in time. First of all, obviously, he's a very bright man. I yeah. think he understands history without question. I think he's appalled, by the way, if you put a lie detector test on him by the, the just sort of how, yeah, by his predecessors and how accommodative policy has been for such a long time. And I think he probably finds that uh, repulsive in a word. And I do think he's tried to do an extremely good job in narrating and telling the market what they're thinking. Now, it's not his fault if the market doesn't pick up on what he's putting down, but he's definitely been putting it out there. But, you know, Elizabeth mentioned something, and I want to go to, to her layoff um, and the unemployment rate, some of the slides she brought. But Larry Summers yesterday, he thinks there's a 15, 1.5% chance of an actual Fed rate hike this year to curb inflation. And, you know, he's not a dope either. So the cross currents are out there. But the main driver of a lot of this is going to be what happens in the job market. And although the unemployment rate, Liz, is still below, markedly below 4%, there's some things around the edges that are, I think are concerning. And you brought some charts and some did, graphs and to illustrate. And I want to mention something I actually tweeted yesterday about the Fed, what the Fed is saying versus what the market thinks the Fed is going to do. You can go to my feed. February 20th, it was about Bloomberg's new Fed Speak Index. So basically, it shows you what Fed Speak is saying. Everybody out there from the Fed is saying, we're not going to cut that much. The market is saying, yes, you are. You can see this big divergence in the lines. Anyway, you can look at it yourself. Generally, what happens is the market has to warm up to what the Fed is saying, not the other way around. So changing gears now, we've got the jobs market. Now, okay, if NVIDIA is like hot sauce, this topic is like warm milk today. Mm -hmm. So I apologize for bringing it down for anybody. But if you look at the labor market, one of the things that I started to wonder about this year, obviously the national number is still strong, still stable. Everybody's still employed. It seems like there's a job to go around for one and a half people over. That's perfectly fine. But then you've got these little things under the surface. We've got headlines that came out, all these these big companies, these household names announcing layoffs. And I started to wonder, well, how often does that happen? Is that just a January thing? And this should be something that we just get used to and maybe the media is sensationalizing it. So this is a chart of just January, every January, each year back to 2000, how many layoff announcements do we see and what industries are they broken down by? One caveat here is that tech was not broken out as an industry until 2019. So that's why you only see it in the last few bars. 
but look at 2024. Lower than last year, so fewer layoff announcements than 2023, but higher the highest since 2009, still above everything else since 2009. The other thing that I think is really important to look at in that bar is how many colors are present. Those these layoffs that we've heard about so far, more broad-based. That happens typically when you've got a lot of companies worried about what might happen in the economy or and guy actually I would like your take on this or companies expecting to try to generate earnings, right? Trying to manage their operating mm-hmm. margin and now they realize well revenue isn't going to do it, so we have to cut costs in order to manage our operating margin. Obviously every company announces layoffs for different reasons, sometimes those reasons are not even bad reasons, but this is an interesting way to look at it, more broad-based, still higher since 2009. I think that this could be a warning sign. A hundred percent. I agree with you. And it's, if you think about what's going on over the last six months, just over the last couple of weeks, I mean, I think Cisco was the last one we heard from in terms of layoffs, but they will not be the last. And you got to say to yourself, well, what are they seeing? Well, they're seeing that their margins are going to be jeopardized. How are we going to be able to maintain that? We're going to lay people off. I don't even think companies call them layoffs anymore. They call them some sort of enhancements to whatever productivity, but effectively people are losing their jobs. And it's just a matter of time before this starts making its way into numbers that people, that catches people's eyes. Because again, below 4%, nobody's saying anything. It's like that scene in Jaws. You say Barracuda on a crowded beach, nobody bats an eye. You say shark and everybody's running out of the water. And it's the same thing with the unemployment rate. But around the edges, you're seeing it. You go to to all these different urban areas where you're starting to see uptick in unemployment. All the layoffs we're seeing across a swath of industries, we're seeing it now. I think every state but Texas is seeing an uptick in the unemployment rate. And Texas will be the last to fall. And now you mentioned how, Dan, wages are keeping up. Well, government wages are absolutely the thing that's keeping this wage growth above water because in the private sector, it ain't happening. So there are so many things to be worried about on the job front, in my opinion, well, without question. I think what's interesting, and, and again, you mentioned Cisco, there was Snap, and there was Accenture, and there was a whole host of other, you know, kind of large things. I mean, a lot of these are white collar jobs, right? And so we saw, you know, um, a lot of, uh, in 2022, we saw a lot of cuts, you know what I mean? And, and I think your year over year data is, you know, kind of shows that um, a little bit, you know, on the lower end, though, there has been, you know, th- this the service sector, there has been wage growth, there has been, you know, demand for those sorts of workers. So it's interesting that I, I just think that in the week that we saw this Discover Financial, you know, COF deal, right? So this is a lower end sort of consumer. American Express is at an all time high if they want to just pull that mm-hmm. one up. So those are <clears throat> reflective, I think, of the folks that are being fired from a lot of these other businesses where <clears throat> maybe the Capital One is more in the service sector. Do you know what I'm saying? And so like, I think that's an interesting dynamic that will play out, you know, over the next year or so. But I think, Liz, your focus on this and and Guy, the point that you made is like, this is kind of the last battle Mm -hmm. the Fed sort of has to fight here. And if inflation does remain um, persistent, I guess, as some of these Fed heads are starting to say, it really depends like who is able to weather that storm. Our company is going to be able to continue to pass through these costs and the like. And how much longer does uh, the the variable, these lags, right? that we've had from all of this, you know, rate hiking, like at some point it should weigh on the economy. Uh, yeah. Amanda, look at the ticker. They're running a the little thing down there. That means guy, they want yeah, to, no, I know. It does. And Q&A. I think all, listen, we've run over time. I apologize. We do have questions. First of all, I think Starry said at the beginning of the show, and I think Starry is with us every day. Tell Liz, I'm jealous of her amazing style. Wow. Oh, really? Thanks. She's wow. got a great Even fit today. As they say, Good fit. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, trading lawyer. What do you guys think about Mara? That's Mara Digital Holdings, which again is pretty much an overlay of a Bitcoin chart. I mean, this stock was sixteen dollars in February. I think it just traded up. I want to say to twenty-seven or twenty-eight and a half or so, and fell. If you put up a chart, you'll see a little bit of a double top here. Now, I'll say this: If you're one of these people that think Bitcoin's going to one hundred and fifty thousand or three hundred thousand, a move from twenty-three down to nineteen is meaningless in this stock. Because if that, in fact, does happen, the stock's going to be a lot higher. However, if a move of that magnitude is concerning to you, I think we're on the precipice of it happening. So it's not that I'm, there's no indictment of the company. You know, I think a pullback probably below 20 is in the cards. And if you're long the stock, I don't think there's anything wrong with probably taking some money off the table and look for a better entry point. Again, if you think Bitcoin is going parabolic, 
then I wouldn't even be looking at this because, quite frankly, it could triple from here if that's the case. Yeah, or just buy Bitcoin. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Or like, buy so Bitcoin. Like, like to me, you know, um, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense like, when you don't understand what this company is, who runs it, what their balance sheet. I'm not saying you do not. You you might do. But what I'm saying is, is if you think Bitcoin's going to 100 and then a bunch of these listed equities that, you know, who knows what some of these companies do. I mean, there's one that we know it does is Coinbase. You know what I mean? And I would think that there is some kind of headwinds to that business model with a you know, spot Bitcoin ETFs being um, approved in the last month or so. Like to me, if you think Bitcoin is going higher, then buy Bitcoin, you know, and, and now you can do it in your IRA with an ETF and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, that's my two Throw cents. up a Coinbase chart real quick since you mentioned it. And this is one we actually did a decent job on. Do a longer term chart and you'll see what I'm looking at. We thought for a long time in the fall into this year, that's a very good chance that Coinbase would trade up to the level we broke down from in the spring of 2022, about $187 or so. You can see the chart. That's exactly what happened. It pulled all the way back down to, I think, 112. Look at where we just traded up to. We basically traded up to the high we made just a few weeks or so ago. So this is one that I think the trading range has been set for you. So I just bring it up because you mentioned it. This is for Elizabeth. Dollar pain. Hmm. Any concerns that stickflation, I don't know what that means, become stagflation in the near future? Uh, I think stickflation means that we're just sticky in some areas. Ah, I could be wrong, um, but I'm assuming sense. that's what that means. I think that the concerns over stagflation are getting bigger and bigger. So far, the GDP numbers haven't shown that. But if the Fed is at all accurate about their projections, 1.8% this year in GDP growth is a far cry from what we've been posting for the last few quarters. And I think that would be a tough thing for people to stomach, especially if inflation doesn't get down below 3%. And it's proving to be that that's proving to be really the problem. We looked at it, obviously, when the CPI numbers came out, you've got these sticky parts of services inflation. We've always known that services inflation is stickier than goods inflation. And that is exactly what's happening right now. And even in services inflation, we're now playing this whack-a-mole game. Apparently, car insurance is the new problem. So we're, I'm sure we'll come out with some measure X car insurance, right? But still, we've got sticky parts of inflation that continue to stay elevated. I think stagflation is, again, a pretty big risk. You know, Matrix of Compassion asks a similar question in terms of, you know, what happens if stickflation, you know, how do you hedge in this environment? I think we addressed it for a while, but I just wanted to make sure I got to his question. Starry asked a question about the FXI. I think we hit that earlier if you want to pull it up real quick. But I will say again, in terms of the FXI, you know, that 21 level is huge support. It goes back to 2008. It goes back to October 2022. And it goes back to the recent low that we saw. We're above 23 now. I think Alibaba is above 75. I still think there's a trade here. You know, I think there's a very good chance that Alibaba trades up to somewhere between 86 and 90 bucks. And it's still on a market downtrend. It's not that I'm bullish Alibaba as a company. It's I'm bullish as to the chart formations that we've seen a number of times, Dan. Yeah, and you look at it. I mean, we've highlighted the fact that Alibaba, um, you know, Tencent, some of the biggest, you know, um, web names in China are in there. They're exposed to the consumer. What does the Chinese stimulus want to do? It wants to kind of buffet the, the consumer a little bit. They also have some large banks. China Construction Bank is, is a top holding in the FXI. I, I'm with Guy on that one. I think from a trading standpoint, if you could kind of divorce yourself a little bit from some of the stuff that we all have a little bit of PTSD from when it really to Chinese equities, you know, you know where to stop this thing. It's just, you know, it's just very near the low from, you know, a couple months ago, but then going back a couple of years and then going back 10 plus years or something like that. So, you know, you stop it at like 21 and, and you maybe have a trade up to 26 was that like declining 200 day moving average. And it's also that downtrend. So uh, not a bad one. Liz, thoughts on Chinese equities? Are they investable? Um, you know, that term, investable, you know, I, uninvestable? I, I do know the term. Yeah. I've heard that a couple of times. We get tagged before. all the time if we mm. ever use that. If you use it uninvestable that it, you know that means it's going to go straight up basically oh got it yeah. okay well yeah. good to know yeah. noted um look i a couple of weeks ago i was starting to feel a little more constructive on china just because it looked like it was bottoming we talked about bottoming as a process so you know don't get too married to the idea that it's going to bounce immediately um there have been some headlines that came out just in the last week and some stuff that's going on over there that would give me pause but I do think that at some point they'll start stimulating and that probably does drive some more upside. Also, the timing will matter. If some of that, let's say China China stimulates in a big way, if that 
coincides with the Fed starting to cut rates and a dollar that starts to weaken, that's another tailwind. You could see tailwinds from a couple different directions. But I think EM right now, ex-China, is a fine place to be investing and is a fine place to be looking. Uh, I would keep China kind of on the watch list. Is there an EM ETF ex-China? Somebody will create it if it's. I not. don't know how they don't because EEM. Well, first of all, that's a great. There looking, used to be. I think. At, I think. Look at that chart away. right there. Look at that consolidation, and and China is a big part of EEM. That's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I asked that mm-hmm. because a lot of folks have talked about India. They've talked about um, obviously Japan is not emerging, but like uh, Japan has benefited from this narrative of you know finding places to invest. Um, Mexico, I think, is done. Is, is Mexico EWW? Maybe they can e- pull that one up. Mexico's, I, I think Mexico, hold on a second. I should know this off the top of my it. head. They, look at that one. Is that EWW? Yeah, maybe. Um, so like there's in, you know, Brazil, our friends over at Seawolf, Vinny and Porter, they like the Petrobras. And that's EWZ, I believe, or I think. EWZ, I mean, you are correct. So anyway. Look at you. So but, what you can do, it just, and I, I won't name specific names, but I did used to cover emerging markets, mutual funds. There are funds out there, and I believe there are some ETFs that will equal weight the countries or even do purposeful underweighting of the large countries and overweighting of the small countries so that you're not so exposed to something like China. So if you've got, you know, just a straight EEM, you might have 30% of that fund in China. If you want to manage the exposure a little bit, you can search for something that manages the country. EMXC. This is Matrix of Compassion. He's Johnny on the spot. He is Johnny on the spot. That is EM. Well, let's see. EMXC. Uh, no, it seems it's, it's the MSCI. Uh, okay, it's we got index, that. I think. That's why we have an audience. Last one from Scott A. Can you have them? I guess them is us. Look at the VIX. Looks like it's been in a slow uptrend since December. I mean, it's a tough thing to chart, but I, what I will say is, you know, it feels as if we're, again, you talk about sort of bottoms as a as a process. It feels as though that's what we've been in the midst of for a while. We obviously traded up to 18 or so. Uh, a week or so ago, you know, I think the VIX has a 20 handle in it at some point. I think right now we're just below 16. And I obviously think maybe it's on the back of what we hear tonight or what we're going to get over the next couple of weeks. But the VIX to me is starting to act more like it should have been acting all along, Dan. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that, okay, so the VIX is kind of ticked up a little bit, you know, like this thing could be back at 12 really quickly. So tomorrow, let's just say hypothetically, NVIDIA beats and raises more than everyone expects. And believe it or not, what everything that we just described about the options market, the way they're pricing puts versus calls and the like, and it seems like there's a whole host of negative sentiment. If they have a magnitude of a beat that's greater than what the whisper number is, what investors are expecting, the stock's going back up. I mean, it'll be back up at 750 because these manias, they just, you know, like it takes some, like they don't just break on enthusiasm, right? They have to break on continued sort of like, you know, kind of disappointments. And if they don't disappoint yet, you're going to need a broader sentiment shift. So my, my only point is, is like, if NVIDIA is at 750 tomorrow, the VIX is back at 13. I mean, like, like mm-hmm. that, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, all bets are off again. So like, I, you know, I, I, I hope that doesn't happen because I feel like it will just create a much more unnatural situation. The fact that NVIDIA has corrected 10% in three or four trading days and the S&P is down just a Hanging little bit, in there. it tells you that the market hasn't gotten the memo yet, right? They're still going to wait for these battles to be fought one by one. So again, the VIX, maybe it's useful, maybe it's not. I don't well, think the Fed, oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. Yeah, the, the other thing, you know, if you lengthen out the VIX chart, I mean, yes, it's been in a slow uptrend since December, but it's still below. I mean, for all of 2021, it was hovering around 20 and that was with a Fed funds rate at zero, right? So the VIX is still pretty low compared to where it's been even for the last five years. And I think that probably increases the risk of it spiking on some sort of bevy of bad news. It's just that hasn't really happened yet. And I think Dan is absolutely right. If tonight goes well, the VIX is back down tomorrow. I don't want to make a big deal of this before we get out of here, but the HYG is something we look at all the time. It does not trade. I want to emphasize. I mean, this is not something that I'm telling you should trade, but every once in a while you see things intraday that sort of catch your eye. If you put up sort of a daily chart here in the HYG, you know, we've been slowly selling off um, pretty much all morning. Just something to keep in mind uh, that, again, credit to me, nobody seemingly cares about it. I understand that. There are a lot of people out there that think there's a credit event on the horizon. But if you're looking to see an indicator that maybe something is happening, it comes in the form of the HYG, which, again, I'm just noticing the movement over the last few hours. It's worth noting, Dan Nathan. 
Uh, yeah. Hey, one last thing before we get out of here, I just want to um, highlight um, Toll Brothers, um, which is making a, a new high today after those results. And um, I know, Liz, you probably have some thoughts on housing. You know, we talked about in your note that's going to drop tomorrow on the SoFi Investing blog. So you guys could check that out. You saw a couple of those charts and a little bit of a preview. But housing is the other conundrum in a way for the Fed, right? Because so many mortgages that people have are locked at these really low rates, right? And we know that we still have this support supply demand um, scenario here. I mean, that is a pretty great looking chart. And I will tell you, I was trying to fade the XHB. I was trying to fade the home builders a couple months ago after that parabolic move off of those, you know, September, October lows here. You had that consolidation. Now you have a bit of a breakout. These stocks are cheap. They have weird dynamics, all that sort of thing. I don't think the Fed, again, just like they don't want unemployment to go too much lower, they don't want housing to get too much more out of whack here, Liz. No, I think that's right. And and that's why they created that super core, started talking mm-hmm. about the super core, just to get housing out of the equation, because they don't think it's representative of what true inflation looks like or what the underlying level of inflation is in the economy. We can argue all day long whether or not that's actually true. But housing is an interesting piece. And this is something that I've been sort of perplexed about for a while the possibility that it didn't really ever go down, right? We thought that it was going to go down. We thought home prices would come back down, especially as rates rose. And you saw some wobbles there, but really nothing meaningful. So if it stayed elevated, and if the Fed is going to start cutting rates, how many people have been sitting out there waiting to mm-hmm. chomp at the bit to buy a house or get out of the one they're in and do and buy a different one, even at a rate that's below 6%, right? Maybe they don't care. Maybe they mm-hmm. want it so badly. If that happens fast enough, you may not see a big relaxation in the housing market. You may not see home prices come back down. And the other thing about that is just demographically, we've got a lot of millennials. We've got a lot of Gen Zers engaging in household formation that want to buy homes. They're not stuck in a mortgage. They're stuck in a rental, right? So they can engage in a mortgage transaction whenever they want to, as long as they're comfortable with it. And I just, I think that there's probably some pent up demand out there from people that have been frozen out of the market. It's going to be interesting. So much hinges, you know, as long as people have, as long as people have jobs, I think status quo, it's like nobody make a move. Everything's going to be okay in terms of the housing market. If the unemployment rate starts to move in a precipitous fashion, like I think it may, that's going to, all of a sudden, a lot of things are going to start to move in ways that I don't think people fully comprehend. And one of those things could be a glut of, a lot of supply coming on in terms Mm -hmm. of the housing market, Mm -hmm. which I think can catch people off guard. So Toll Brothers, its own story. It's high end. I think the average price of their homes now are north of a million dollars. I think they own 70,000 or so lots I saw in their report. So there's a like to lot about, there's a light, there's a lot to like about Toll Brothers, but a lot of that story is Toll Brothers specific, not necessarily uh, representative of what's going on in the housing market. I just want to throw that out. We covered a lot of ground, guy. We did. And we got to be respectful of Elizabeth's time. Everybody likes her style <laughs> as they should. Um, she's the best. And she joins us here on Wednesdays, which is nice. And I'm here today as well, which is always fun. It is always fun. Want to thank Elizabeth. Want to thank the audience. We did some Q&A. Thank you for your questions. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. If it's Thursday, it's butter, bitch. And we'll be with Carter Braxtonworth as well. Dan is so reticent well, actually, to say that. Hold on a second. We actually have a very special guest joining us tomorrow on Market Call. We do? I think they, yes, we have Dan Niles. Oh, sorry Fund. about that. So Dan, um, I've known Dan for 25 years. He was one of the biggest analysts on Wall Street covering tech in the turn of the century and the dot com boom. Really influential analyst. He's become a star fund manager. He joins me on the Oak. Computer pod um, every quarter, and we go through just the kind of a tech preview as it relates to earnings and the like. He is going to join us to talk about NVIDIA and break that down. And then Carter is going to be with us to talk NVIDIA's charts, the semi charts. I'm sure you're going to hit your super micro guy. So we got a bang up show tomorrow. So be sure to set your alarms and watch that. That's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll be here. Well, thanks, everybody. We will see you tomorrow with the Annihilator and Carter Braxton Worth. Enjoy the rest of your day. 